You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on weei.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status and the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years... The Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 178 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Scott McLaughlin. Scott, a pretty impressive weekend for the Bruins this weekend, huh? I mean, you got the win over the Lightning, and then 20, 27 hours later, about, they travel down to Carolina, and with a less-than-full-strength roster, they they defeat the Hurricanes in a shootout 4-3, to and I believe, outside of the Shreshnikov injury, I think Carolina was more or less at full strength. Obviously, the Bruins were without Bergeron and Marchand. Um, and who else was uh, Lindholm? Lindholm, yeah. So, I mean, look, they, the good times just keep on rolling. I think in this win streak, the Bruins have had a couple of wins where the the quality of play wasn't amazing for them, but they still got the wins. But I think dating back especially to Saturday against the, against the Lightning and they carried over Sunday against the Hurricanes – just really strong efforts from the Bruins, grittier style of hockey, more physicality, and just more playoff ready. And two big wins over two really good teams. Yeah, if ever there was going to be such a thing as a scheduled loss, Sunday was it. Like, you know, it's back to back with travel and not even a road trip, just a one day travel down to Carolina and then they come come right back home. And like you said, Bergeron, Martian, Lindholm, all all sitting. Montgomery said Bergeron was dealing with an illness, and he said uh, nagging injuries for Martian and Lindholm. I think I, I that's probably true, but that's also just like you have to say something, you know, especially where like Oscar Steen comes up on a on an emergency recall that has to be. For an injury or an illness, it can't just be, you can't just say, like, yeah, we're just resting them. So, um, 
there's a little bit of that in how they characterize it. Uh, and obviously you're facing a really good team and yet, uh, doesn't turn into a loss. It turns into their seventh straight win. Um, yeah, just impressive. You know, I thought Pasenak was great. Obviously scores the two goals, including getting to 50 on the year. Uh, now has a career high 97 points. Um, you know, that Zaka was really good. Like some of the big guys stepped up at that McAvoy had a really strong game, but you also see the depth step up again. Jacob Lauka scores and suffers what looked like a pretty scary injury later in the game. Um, sounds like he's going to be okay. Matt Porter tweeted after the game that, uh, the earlier early word was that he's okay. And that it was actually an upper body injury, even though, you know, it looked like he kind of jammed his legs, but really his whole body made pretty hard contact on that. So, um, yeah, so you see their depth again. I thought Oscar Steen playing his first NHL game since last year, I thought, you know, looked pretty good, uh, made some good plays and, you know, early in the third period, you thought, uh, all right, it's catching up to them. You know, Carolina's going to take control. They come back from three, one down, tie it up. And then Jim Montgomery calls, you know, well-timed timeout. And that really did seem to help kind of settle them down. And I thought they finished the third pretty well after that, keeping it a tie game um, and then get to the shootout and, and win it. So I want to keep it to the, uh, to the fourth line real quick, just because you brought, you brought up the depth and it was on full display in both of these two games over the weekend. And, and you kind of mentioned that, but I think whether it was, I mean, quite literally off the opening faceoff against Tampa Bay. Now Tampa Bay was clearly the aggressor in that situation. They came into Boston with a B under their bonnet. Like they haven't been playing to their standards in their mind. And there are, what are they, they lost? Like was it seven of nine or something like that? Or yeah. Or, and, and now four in a row after Saturday. So look, John Cooper sent out Pat Maroon and Ross Colton, and they had a vendetta off the opening draw to kind of set the tone physically. And that's exactly what happened. And Lauko and Colton kind of went out a little bit, and obviously Garnet Hathaway and Pat Maroon dropped the gloves, and they had history earlier this year when Hathaway was in Washington. But what you have to love is it's the Bruins' fourth line that answers the bell, but then as the game goes on, it's Garnet Hathaway who scores the game-winning goal in in a blue-collar fourth-line fashion, and that's exactly the way he scores that goal, the way he engaged with Maroon off the opening face-off. That is exactly the kind of blue-collar fourth-line role that helps you in the playoffs, propels you through series, helps bang up the other team over seven games, plays the right way. It's what you saw – happen against Boston against St. Louis. It's what you saw happen against Boston with the Islanders. Like those teams just wore play wore their opponents down. The Bruins don't have those guys to wear players down. Another guy who wears down his opponents with his speed and tenacity and you brought him up the top was was Loco. And he scores a goal, a really nice goal against the Hurricanes today. And he's just he's just really had a strong month, Scott. Like that we've talked about with Bridget in recent episodes too about when everybody's healthy, like what's your preferred fourth line maybe? And there's an argument we had for a lot of guys, but if as it pertains to A.J. Greer versus Loco, Loco is bringing more to the table right now, and I don't think Greer's playing bad. I mean, he had a silly suspension. 
But I don't know. It's Lauko, Hathaway, and Nosek. They have something going right now. They really do. And it's kind of like, well, what happens when, when Felino, Felino comes back? Like, it's just. Yeah. And not only that, but also when Taylor Hall comes back and you're potentially looking at dropping Trent Frederick down to the fourth line, like, Loco has absolutely earned a spot and deserves to keep playing. But, you know, there's also going to be a numbers game at some point. And, you know, not just in terms of staying in the lineup, but also possibly him getting sent back down to Providence. Because if they have, you know, say 14 other healthy forwards, which they could when Hall and Felino are back, Someone, someone's got to go, and, and Lauko can still go down to Providence without going through waivers. So he's probably the guy just because, just because of how rosters work. But yeah, he's obviously making the most of his opportunities, and um, at the very least, I think it's safe to say that you know if he has to play in the playoffs, you're you're not going to be too worried about it. You know, you're. I think the Bruins would and should feel pretty good if they have to plug him in for a game um, or two here and there. Now, you know, obviously you, you would hope that would be in place of like other bottom six guys, right? Like obviously you're still going to face issues if, you know, one of your top guys go, goes out. So we're not really talking about that, but just in terms of the, the depth in, in that bottom six, you have a lot of it. And uh, he has certainly added to it and shown that, you know, that he can play at this level and that he, that he gets it. Like you, you just see the energy that he brings and, and the all around game that he's playing. Um, you know, yeah, he, like he's, he's a guy who can play at this level and can, and can contribute and hold his own on the best team in the league. I mean, it's one of the biggest reasons why this Bruins team is just so scary going into the playoffs is that the biggest obstacle I believe for teams in the postseason is the war of attrition. Especially if you want to go four rounds and hoist the cup. When you're 15 forwards deep before you really have to dip into your real black aces, I'm talking 15 forwards that like have played significant time with the Bruins this year. When you're 15 forwards deep, you have the versatility that you have with being able to switch different positions, wing, center, whatever. Um, and, and, you know, it's just – it's dangerous. It just really is so dangerous. and it's But more importantly, it's necessary. Um, sorry, I just started thinking about that line from Dodgeball. He's like, necessary? Is it necessary <laughs> to on your end? Um, anyway, it's necessary is what, I, is what I'm saying. But it's but – it, but, uh, but not everybody has it, and the Bruins do. So um, – yeah, I mean, Loco and Loco was like he was a late, later development this year. He had a really strong training camp, but he really kind of he was okay when he had his first glimpses earlier this year. But he's just really, like I said, the last month he's just really taken advantage of his opportunities and and really is giving Montgomery and the coaching staff a tough decision to make when that when that uh, that time comes. Um, what? How, how did you feel? So I, we kind of just touched on it, but like just in general, like how did you feel the Bruins matched up? with Tampa Bay in particular on Saturday physically, right? I mean, that's – Tampa Bay's got a ton of talent. They're not as deep this year as they have been in the past couple of years. But I just think that the way that Don Sweeney went out and, and, and addressed some of those some of those needs at the deadline this year in Hathaway and Orloff and, and Bertuzzi, 
there's just not a game that the Bruins can't play. There's no style they can't play. They're not going to get pushed around by anybody. It's not that this Bruins team is going to go out there and put their opponents through the boards, but they're not going to be – they're not going to shy away from contact. They're not going to get off their game because teams are being physical on them. And whereas in the past years it kind of, they kind of have, especially when you only have that Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand line to really rely on. So it's kind of twofold. Yes, you have the depth to overcome certain players being shut down, but this the makeup of this team from the back end up front, it's just they're, they're, they're much better more equipped to play any style. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, definitely. And I thought on Saturday, really what you saw was a Bruins team that had kind of turned the tables on the Lightning from the last few years where the Lightning were always the deeper team. They were always the one where, all right, you know, stars to stars, you might be able to match up. But you get down to that third, fourth line, and the Lightning have the advantage. And we know, you know, you go back to the 2020 series in the bubble, and I know that was weird. And, you know, you can treat the the bubble playoffs as real as you want. But, hey, they got played in the Lightning won a cup. And a big reason why they beat the Bruins in the second round is that their bottom six really kind of turned that series and, you know, their deadline additions that year, Coleman and Goodrow, were the perfect additions. And the Bruins' deadline additions just didn't make as big of an impact. Um, now you look at a game like Saturday, and I know it's a regular season game, and it doesn't guarantee that the Bruins beat them in the playoffs if they play in the second round this year. But it was the Bruins' deadline additions making the big impact. Hathaway dropping the gloves, scoring the winner. Orlov, I thought, had an awesome game Saturday. Um, he was huge on the penalty kill. He threw some big hits, you know, like a tone-setting type of game. Um, and, you know, and Bertuzzi continues to be involved, too. Um, meanwhile, over on Tampa Bay, like their biggest deadline addition was Tanner Janot. And I don't know about you, but the only time I noticed him on Saturday was when he was skating in and out of the penalty box, which he went to three times. So... You know, and he has kind of struggled to fit in there. So this looks like it's setting up as a situation where the Bruins finally just look flat out deeper than Tampa Bay. And that advantage that the Lightning used to have over everyone, now the Bruins have that advantage. And yeah, as far as the physical stuff, like, I, I agree. Like, I feel like this question has come up a few times recently. Um, you know, I've heard like some shows ask it we got a text about it on Sunday skate a couple weeks ago. Like people still have this concern that the Bruins aren't tough enough or can, or like, can they get pushed around or whatever? And I haven't felt that way all year. And I feel like the people who do that, is, that feels more to me like scar tissue from past postseasons when it's been true and not really a reflection of what this team has been. Certainly not what this team has been post deadline. Like, 
you add Hathaway and Orlov and, you know, even Bertuzzi is a different, he's not physical in terms of like big hits, but you know, he's an agitator. Like he'll get in there. Like they absolutely can go toe to toe -toe with anyone. And they're not going to take crap. Like you even saw that against Montreal on, on Thursday, you know, the Canadians are, they have nothing to play for other than to try to beat their rival, try to be the best team in the league, get them off their game. And the Bruins weren't going to put up with it, right? Late hit on Bergeron, Marchand goes after him. Uh, Jake Evans, Snow Swayman, McAvoy comes in and tackles him. Like that, I, I you, you saw that again Sunday, where um, who was I forget who it was from Carolina who was like bumping Swayman, and wow, then nice. McAvoy comes in and tackles him again. And you know McAvoy takes a penalty, but I think again if you're the Bruins, you're okay with that penalty. Like you'll you'll go kill that one because you. Saw a guy bump your goalie and, you know, McAvoy jumps in and sure, well, you know, we'll accept that penalty. I mean, for me, toughness is just as much about being able to take a hit than giving one. And if you're, we've talked about this in the past, but if you're giving a lot of hits, you're, you're chasing the game, right? There's not a lot of puck possession for you because you're, 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 you're chasing your opponent. So um, when I talk about toughness, it's more about, like, are the Bruins willing to go to the dirty areas? Look, open-ice hits are great. They're fun to watch. They're awesome. I welcome them. I would love to see Charlie McAvoy, um, you know, greenlight somebody during the playoffs uh, coming across the middle. be great. You know, it, it, clean, right? <laughs> but um, but when I when I talk about other Bruins, like, are they – are they physical enough to play that style of game? It's like, okay, so when they play Carolina and you're going up against Jacob Slavin and Brent Burns and Pesci and Shea and, you know, whatever, whoever whoever else their they're six-foot-three-plus defenseman is on that team, in the corners, are you getting bumped off the puck? Are you willing to go after that loose puck? Um, and, and this Bruins team is – they are willing to do that. They have the depth and the personnel to do that. Whereas in years past, it's just, it hasn't been there. Um, they've gotten knocked off pucks a little bit and it doesn't take that much. Like getting knocked off the puck doesn't mean getting smoked on your ass. It just means like, are you, are you losing 50, 50 battles and watching the Tampa Bay game in particular on Saturday, I noticed just how strong the Bruins board work was in particular in the ozone but in all three zones, really, I mean, protecting the puck on the boards and the breakouts, waiting that extra second to see where, where the outlet pass should be, uh, not rushing not rushing pucks off the glass, like holding on to the puck, absorbing a hit, whatever. And then down in the offensive zone, there was just a lot of good board work, protecting the puck down low, um, good support, a teammate 10, 15 feet away, 10, 12 feet away, um, good high to low movement. Um, I mean, you saw it on the game-winning goal, right? There was puck possession down low, no sick, and, um, you know, Loco was out there, and, and, and obviously Hathaway was net front, but Hathaway won a, won, a, won a board battle. And then Hathaway came in, supported no sick on a board battle. Puck squirts loose, no sick does the one-handed thing up the boards. And then Grizzly gets the pucks in that, Hathaway beats his man in front. Like, it's so physicality is not just the Scott Stevens – open ice hits from the nineties. It's, it's a lot of smaller details and this Bruins team definitely, definitely is capable of playing that game. Yeah. And Jim Montgomery highlighted that after Saturday's game, he talked about, um, you know, once, once they got through like all the penalties of the first period and you got a little more five and five play, 
he said like basically the the sign to him that they had found their game was that they were winning foot races and they were getting you know getting on pucks first um which he said was like a sign that they weren't afraid of taking the hit because right we've all seen it like you'll see a guy who has a step in a foot race but he sort of you know slows down kind of initiates some contacts that turns into more of a scrum and he doesn't risk getting taken a hard hit and it's like you know if you if you win that scrum like okay you'd still find a way to win possession but what montgomery's talking about is like you're just going in there getting the puck and quickly moving and taking that hit and you saw that a bunch on saturday and you saw it again on sunday um yeah it's like they are you know they've played a lot of playoff style hockey this year but especially recently like some of these games especially this weekend it's like it's encouraging to see because now you're getting close. There's only nine games left now. And, you know, we had wondered like, all right, when do you turn it back on? You know, I I've mentioned how Montgomery kind of put that date um, with five games left. Like when they get back this, this coming weekend, when they get back from Pittsburgh and St. Louis and take on Toronto, like he sort of circled that a while back, but they're doing it even before then. And, you know, I think it's entirely possible. They have another slip up along the way. You know, they have a, a couple games this week that, you know, aren't against like rival teams. So we'll see, you know, there's still some opportunities in here for them to potentially slip up a little, lose focus, but they got up for Tampa and Carolina. And that has to be encouraging, especially Carolina again on back to back. Like that could have easily been, Hey, you know what? We've won six in a row. We just beat Tampa. We're feeling good. Like no one really expects us to have our best on Sunday. And, um, you know, they, they still brought it. So that's definitely a real credit to them. Look, you know, you just brought up some of the upcoming games. I mean, Nashville, they're one of those teams, like they'll play you hard. So you better come to play Columbus. I mean, look, (laughs) They, they, they all, might play hockey. I don't know. <laughs> they're a team. Okay, they're a team. <laughs> I can't even pretend to get up for that game. So if the Bruins, whatever, we'll see. Um, but beyond that, Pittsburgh is a potential playoff uh, round one opponent. So there's a measuring stick there for Pittsburgh, obviously. Um, you know, Toronto's Toronto, St. Louis. They still took the cup from you a few years ago. can find a way to get up for that game. And then, yeah, I mean, a couple you – know, New Jersey's a good team. Philly – and obviously the Canadians are the last game, so and there could be a little bit of a pissing and moaning going on up there. I mean, I saw I saw that I saw that Mike Hoffman's and, and AJ Greer are still making headlines six days after the after the game. It's like, man, you know yeah. things are going bad in Montreal, and like that's just still a headline. I mean that 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 was you know pretty nasty cut there. Um, you need some stitches. There was quite a bit of swelling, but still, like the whole like video of. Well, I got suspended two games for a cross check to the head once, and this only got one. It's like, all right, dude, like, listen, in case you haven't noticed, the Department of Player Safety has been inconsistent for the entire time it's existed. So, like, get over it. Like, I, I don't know. What else do you want? He, he got a game misconduct. He missed the rest of that game, and he got suspended yeah. a game. Like, oh, all right. I mean, okay, you can suspend him two games. Like, he's not. 
I mean, like, I like AJ Greer, but it's not like that's gonna like really hurt the Bruins if he if he had been suspended two games. I mean, yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like I feel like he um he kind of, the way they saw it, they, they were probably like he probably got two games, right? Because like you said, he missed the entire most most yeah. of the game got ejected from. So they probably looked at it differently. Maybe if it happened in the third period, they may have, maybe they would have done two additional games, but. I mean, either way, so what, Mike Hoffman, you're going to sleep better at night knowing that Greer got an extra game? I mean, come on, I'm not bitching and moaning. And also, he's not the most popular player in the league either for, for some off-ice reasons with former teammates, so <laughs> whatever. Um, but, yeah, I guess anyway, so, yeah, so, look, the, I guess my point is there's reasons for the Brewers to try to get up for each game that they have remaining um, if they can. Obviously, the underlying reason is to just – and the most important reason is to just keep playing the right way going into playoffs. That's the most important thing. 65 wins shouldn't really matter to them. Um, is it nice? Sure, if they could do it. But, like, it, as long as they're playing the right way and they end up with 62 wins, I'd prefer that than them getting 65 but playing like shit and getting those wins. So focus on the, on the little habits. Uh, we kind of glossed over it, Scott, earlier. But the significance officially of David Pashnak getting goals 50 and 51 and getting them with a goal in the net, which is nice to see. Uh, it wasn't the 50th goal was a bit of a fluke in a sense where he didn't actually shoot. It kind of fell off his stick a little bit, but it was still a breakaway, a grade A chance, and he, he probably would have finished it anyway. So I guess just the uh, significance of that officially happening now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's big. Like, look, first Bruin to get there since Cam Neely, 93, 94. Only the sixth Bruin ever to do it. Um, you know, Phyllis Bezito, Cam Neely, Rick Middleton, Johnny Busick, Ken Hodge. Like, that's that's the company you're in now. And, again, none of them from the last 25 years. So, um, you know, he, pro- he would have gone there in 2019-20 if COVID hadn't hit. So, in that way, too, it's kind of like, all right, finally you get to finish – that business. Now I know that the next thing for him will be a hundred points, which he's easily going to get to. Um, he's at 97 now, you know, that was the other thing that he missed out on because of COVID hitting. Um, you know, I know like individual stats and all that, like aren't the most important thing to this team, nor should they be, but it's still pretty remarkable, you know, 50 goals, even in a higher scoring era, even with, Connor McDavid, you know, going off or Austin Matthews getting to 60 last year. It's, it's still an impressive accomplishment. And, you know, we've talked about how, you know, he's been able to find some different ways to score this year, um, you know, kind of continue to evolve and grow his offensive games as teams adjust to him and find different ways to defend him and take away things he wants to do. Like, you know, the one time on the power play, um, yeah, but he just keeps scoring, and yeah, no, number fifty that like definitely lucky, you know, a little bit of luck involved there, where Burns 
disrupts his shot, but just slides through Anderson's five hole. Even 51, like that was that was a nice setup on the power play. One of the few times we've been able to say that recently about the Bruins power play. Um, and it's a good shot, but Anderson just didn't quite get snug to the post, so it's able to squeak through. But you know, those are those are goals you get when you're a goal scorer. Like, you know, Pasenak said after the game, I was watching his post game interview, and you know, he said he's like, I've had chances where I've like, recently where he felt like he's gotten good shots off in good positions, and goalies have made good saves. So you know, now you get one where you don't get a good shot off and it goes in. Like that's that's how the game works sometimes. And when you take, when you get yourself in position to score goals, like you're gonna, that's just going to balance out, you know? Yeah. You're going to get robbed or miss the net or on, on some good chances, but then you'll get some of these where the goalie's a little leaky and, and it pays off. So um, really remarkable season for him. And if it weren't for McDavid running away from the rest of the league, like he would be a legitimate heart trophy candidate. He's probably going to finish, I don't know what top three in voting. So, you know, that's still, still pretty damn good. Yeah. And you know, it's, he's 26 years old. I, I don't think he's 27 yet. I think he's 26 to have, you know, which, I mean, let's be honest. And you, you said this earlier, but in 20, in 2019, 2020, that when, when they, when the league shut down with 12 games to go, he was a couple. He, he was two goals shy of fifty. So clearly, the average would have been fifty or more. So I'll just use this number real quick to be twenty six years old and have two seasons of fifty plus goals um, is pretty remarkable. I mean, he's a, he's a two time fifty goal scorer. Now, is he technically? Nope. But everybody listening to this and that would listen to this or watch this knows exactly what I'm saying and and and, and would agree. I mean. That COVID short near, he 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 probably would have averaged fifty two three goals that year. So, and he was at forty eight with twelve games to go. So that's really really good. Obviously, um, such a fun player to watch, such a fun player to cheer for. Um, you know, you think back to when the Bruins drafted him and just um, looking like he was a buck thirty, soaking wet in in his first pro camp and and rookie camp and. You could see the skill back then, but you couldn't – you could see the hands back then, and you could see the creativity. What you couldn't see was that he was going to be like this generation's version of – I'm not going to say Alex Ovechkin, obviously, but just like the way he scored and shoots the puck. He's like this generation's version of like that that pure sniper. I mean, so is Austin Matthews, right? He, I mean, you can sit there and make the argument for either one, but I, I didn't see that happening back in 2015, 2014, when he was, when he debuted for Boston, did I see him being like a 30 goal, a nice 30 goal scorer? Yeah, I did. Um, but that 2016, 2017 season, when the, when they lost to the Senators in the first round, I think that was his first year of like 30, 30 plus goals. He scored like 36 goals. And that year is when he really started to develop that one timer from the top of the circle in the power play. He didn't really have that in his arsenal before. Once he developed that, that's what propelled him into that 30-plus, 40-plus goal range. And what's propelled him into the 50-goal range now is just, you know, everything else in between that he's kind of worked on, stepping to the inside. But what a what a remarkable talent. Um, what would you say, Scott, you would like to see Pasternak outside of the scoring? What, what's, 
what's a weakness to his game that you would like to see him uh, round out in the playoffs and going forward just to make him undoubtedly one of the greatest players in the world? Well, I mean, the obvious thing to start with would still be the turnovers, which we've talked about and has certainly been talked about plenty. You know, he, he leads the league in turnovers, and yes, all the league leaders are guys who have the puck a lot, who are skilled, who are creative, because they're the ones trying plays. They're the ones not always just taking the safe option. And that's what that's what you want. You like you want those guys taking chances because they can make special things happen. Um, I do still think there's a better balance for him to find. You know, when you look at someone like again, I know Connor McDavid's, you know, an all time grade and not a fair comparison. But when someone like McDavid's outside the top ten in turnovers, um, with how much he has the puck, it's like it is doable. Like you, you know, you can cut down on the turnovers a little bit without totally sacrificing your creativity. And I think, you know, the ones that bother me is like when he's, when he's going into traffic and there's, and you just know that his chances of getting through are extremely small, you know, like when he gets to the offensive blue line and it's one on two and he's trying to make, you know, he's trying to do it all himself instead of, pulling up, regrouping, waiting for teammates to join him. Like that's the kind of stuff where it's like, I want to see a little bit better puck management where, you know, Hey, one-on-one. Yeah. Take a chance. Like I'll let Pasenak go one-on-one with anyone. Unless of course he has, you know, a teammate wide open down the other wing, in which case that obviously changes it. But it's when this traffic around, you know, getting through the neutral zone, sometimes he can skate himself into traffic, into trouble. Um, so though that would be it for me is, you know, I don't like, I don't get on him as much for the turnovers as a lot of people do. Like the, the people who are like, he's gonna, you know, he's going to be a negative in the playoffs because he turns it over too much. It's like, nope, like he's not going to be a negative in the playoffs. Like he's, yeah, he might have a costly turnover at some point, but he's going to make four good plays to make up for it. Um, so I don't think it's the end of the world, but I do still think there's work to be done there. And, and I, by the way, like, I think he's aware of that. I don't, you know, I don't think he's like going out there intending to turn the puck over or thinking like, that's not a problem. You know, I think he, he knows like he can be better at it and I'm sure he'll work on it and I'm sure he will, but you know, for now, like, yeah, there's still room to improve there. Yeah. I, I that would be the low hanging fruit, right. would be the turnovers and, and, and shoring that up like you talked about. Uh, for me, you know, I, I it, it, it is it is like one of those things where it's like, all right, once in a blue moon, he's going to he's gonna turn one over, lead to a goal or close to it. It's like, all right, but say say it's like the, I mean, how many, how many of the goals in the game for the Bruins that game did he account for? So the, the turnovers thing is, and we've talked about it. I've brought it up before. It's definitely important. You have to be responsible, especially in the playoffs and all that stuff. But I would, I just really want to see him because I can live with the turnovers. I want him to clean them up, but I can live with those. I can think of 50 reasons a year why. But um, for me, it's just like I, he is – it is so obvious to me how much better he is when 
when he's protecting the puck and kind of being playing with a bit of an edge. And I know that when we're talking about one of the best offensive players in the world, edge doesn't really come to mind. But he has a bit of a snarl he plays with, and when he's when he's at the top of his offensive game, he's playing with that edge, and he has a bit of a bee under his bonnet, and and I just feel like when he's not that guy, when he's disengaged for a period here and there, or, or a game here and there, it's you can tell because he's getting knocked off the puck easily, and he's not 18 years old anymore. He's not he, he he's 26. He's added significant muscle. He's a lot stronger. Um, so if he's getting knocked off the puck, it's because he's kind of not engaged or he's just not feeling it. Oh, I almost just knocked my mic down. Um, my mic almost got knocked off the puck just there. <laughs> but um, so, but when, when, when he plays with that edge and, and he's not afraid to take on a defensive one-on-one and he's not afraid to hit back and bite back, I just want to see more of that incorporated into his game. Like, I, I really think, like, Alex Ovechkin is such a such a great role model for somebody like Pasternak to watch because he he plays on his toes and he has his entire career. And the reason that he gets open so much is because he demands respect out there. And it's because people know that like he's not afraid to kind of take a run at them or protect himself out there. And I just think that that would benefit Pasternak down the line if as long as like if he could create some more space for him out there as opposed to always being the targeted person. If he could just find a way to kind of let opponents know, like I would be, I would be careful. Cause like I, I might, I might throw a, a reverse hit at you here and there. Or I might, I might, you know, and he does once in a while. I just think that in the playoffs, I would like to see him embrace that side of himself. Cause he's capable of it. He's done it before. I just don't want him to be too fancy in the playoffs and be like, rely solely on how much of a goal scorer he is and make sure that, the reason he's such a good goal scorer is because he earns that space and, and respect from opponents. And when you feel like you've been, you're entitled to that space and time, that's kind of when you can go into a cold, cold spell. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and I also think, you know, teams are going to be more physical with them in the playoffs, right? Like, teams try to be in the regular season, but he's so hard to hit because of how shifty he is that you just don't you don't get a lot of opportunities to do it without chasing it or, you know, maybe hitting him a little late or whatever. In the playoffs, like, I think you'll see, you know, especially, like, depending on who they face in that first round, if if it's a team that, you know, I don't want to say like they're going to be dirty, but like kind of knows that they might have to muck it up to have a chance against the Bruins. Um, Like you'll see, you'll see someone, you know, hit him a little late, hit him after the whistle, you know, be physical. And to your point, like he's, you know, he can push back against some of that by dishing out a hit himself, or like you said, a, a reverse hit or, you know, giving a guy, you know, little cross check to the forums. If he comes at you after the whistle, like just, like as you were talking, like that's what I was thinking. Is like, yeah, those those moments where you know he does kind of get physically engaged. That 
at times, you, you know, you don't see it all that often, but you will from time to time. And so, yeah, like in a playoff series that could definitely be useful because, you know, teams are going to try to, you know, rough them up a little bit. And for what it's worth, I think if you were to look at, at his playoff numbers historically, I think he's a point per game guy. Or maybe even maybe yeah. even more. I think he's over a point per game. Yeah, yeah, he actually yeah. So he definitely knows how to play in the postseason too. But he but there's levels to his game that other guys just aren't capable of hitting. And so when you have when you have the the ceiling that he does and the potential and the skill set, you know, he, he what he's what he's done so far has made him one of the best players in the world. Um, so who are we to sit here and try to nitpick and say what he can be better at? But it's just because we, we we're such fans. We know, we know like when he's when he's when he's at his best, he's physically engaged, and he kind of he's kind of like, all right, well now you kind of woke me up, and now I'm gonna now I'm gonna challenge you one on one or now and whatnot. So. Um, I think that's important for him going forward, especially in the in, in the playoffs this year. Was there yeah, any se- yeah. seventy four points in seventy career playoff games? Yeah, so just yeah. over. Yeah, so there you go. You know, and, and and you know another thing too, in toughness for him doesn't just it it's not just like you know um, reverse hits or cross checking somebody coming after him. Like it's it's also because those things are you know. Those are little things too, but like even like just like, just like demand demand the ice, like 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 take the puck hard to the net. Go to like like as as gifted as he is, as talented as he is, like you 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 take the puck in the corner, like you're you're tough to get off the puck. Like think back to Yarmer Yager, how, like how he just made a career of just protecting the puck and and a framing guys and like. And just taking it hard to the net. When you can take the puck hard to the net and play that gritty style while also being one of the more skilled, talented scorers in the world, I mean, how do you? How can you stop that? How can you? How can you stop an all-world skill set when it has an all-world work ethic to go along with it? You can't. And so, like, the reason that like a lot of scorers go cold in post seasons or over for stretches of time is because they're used to scoring from distance or they're used to whatever. But like when, when, when you have to actually get to the gritty areas and go hard to the net in the playoffs where the goals don't come from the outside off very often, that's just an element. And, and you mentioned 74 career points in 70 playoff games. So he knows how to score in the postseason. Um, but when you have a 50 goal campaign this year, all the eyes are going to be on him from spectators to fans to coaches to players and oppositions and everybody, analysts, like there's going to be a lot of eyes in the Boston Bruins this spring. There's going to be most of those eyes are going to be on number 88 and how he does for them, despite how much depth they have. When you're a 50-goal scorer, there's a lot of pressure. And so the best way in my mind for, for Pasternak to live up to that pressure is to just make sure he he remembers um, – what work ethic brings to a game and, and that uh, skill is nothing without will. That's actually a pretty damn good phrase by me. I'm going to coin that one. Uh, if you don't mind, Scott, get the t-shirts made. I'm not sure it's completely original, but <laughs> eh, whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll give it to you though. Thank you. <laughs> 
Uh, actually, yeah, it's not made up by me. What's 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 the phrase? Skill beats will when when will doesn't have no. Will beats skill when skill doesn't have will. Whatever the hell it is. Yeah. I'm not, no, not, no more wills. This is not good with hunting over here. Um. Anything? Any other takeaways from from Carolina Tampa games, Scott? Um. Not really. I mean, both goalies continued to look excellent. That strong games for both Allmark and Swayman. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's par for the course. Like the, the little minor blips that both had in recent weeks, clearly gone. So, um, yeah, that's kind of about it. All right. Well, one final topic worth discussing is that one of the Bruins, um, highest touted prospects that's not yet at the pro rankings, which is Mason Lorai. Finally, uh, could be on his way to signing a pro contract, Scott. I mean, his his Buckeyes bowed out in the national tournament, and I believe now the speculation is might be the time for him to maybe sign with Providence at some point here. Yeah, it could be. Um, definitely Lorai watches on. I, I think he's ready. Um, I think a lot of people agree with that especially if you watched him in, in the regionals this weekend, he was dominant against Harvard in the first round. Now, it, total off game for Harvard. They looked Harvard had a good team this year, but they were awful on Friday and Ohio state just ran all over them. And Lori kind of led that effort. He had goal and two assists, uh, three shot, I think four shots on goal plus three, like just a, a monster game. Um, and then, Ohio State loses to Quinnipiac, but thought Lorai still had a pretty good game. He still had some really good shifts. He was still involved. Um, Quinnipiac's coach, Rand Packnold, was like, couldn't speak highly enough of him after the game. Um, basically said, you know, he should probably already be in the NHL and he probably will be in the next day or two. Um, I, I think the Bruins probably want to sign him. And, you know, it just comes down to whether he wants to or whether he, feels like he has some sort of unfinished business at Ohio state, but I don't think he has a whole lot more to prove at the college level. Um, so yeah, that signing could be coming very early in the week, possibly even by the time, depending on when you, you listen to this, he might've already signed. Um, but you know, I think what, what'll be interesting to see is whether he gets NHL games because the Bruins could give him that, you know, they have right now they have, seven healthy defensemen on the NHL roster with four bird injured. So they could add, they could make room for an eighth. Um, you know, obviously they have games to play with down the stretch here that aren't, you know, must wins. So they could get him into a couple games and see, see where he's at. You know, a lot of times when players sign, they, you know, there's like a handshake agreement to burn that first year of the entry level contract. Um, you know, I don't don't know if that'll be the case here or not, whether he'll try to push for that. But I think it'd be interesting because I certainly don't expect him to be like an NHL contributor right off the bat. You know, I'm not I don't think that's going to be Charlie McAvoy coming out of BU in 2017 or. Yeah, that was 2017, right? Yeah, I think that that was that same Ottawa series. Um yeah, like I'm not expecting that. Where I think McAvoy walked in and was playing like four minutes a game, but you know, he challenged, say, Jacob Zaboral for 
you know, kind of the eighth spot on the depth chart. I don't think that's totally out of the question. I think it would be interesting to see what he looks like. Um, so yeah, something to keep an eye on. And I think, you know, pretty exciting if you're a Bruins fan like this, him and Fabian Lysel, they've been the top two prospects for a couple of years now. And, you know, you've seen Lysel in Providence this year, you know, first years of pro obviously hasn't gotten called up to Boston yet, but um, yeah, you could be seeing Lori at the pro level uh, very soon, possibly this week. So on the Bruins blue line right now, when they're healthy, your top four left defensemen uh, are Lindholm, Orlov, Forbert, slash uh, Grizzly. Obviously, th- only three of those would play in a game unless one guy was on their offside. Um, but as you mentioned, Forbert is out of the lineup, so the Bruins have a natural na- three natural left shot defensemen in their top six: Lindholm, Orlov, and Grizzly. That aren't really up for debate. Beyond Forbert's injury, there was also a scary injury for Providence. I believe it was today or yesterday with Mike Riley, and he was he was knocked unconscious after collision into the end boards. Um, I think he's okay, or at least he's stable in the hospital. But you know, if 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 he's out for a significant amount of time, then the option of Mike Riley coming up to Boston in the playoffs, if he needed to for injuries or other reason, seems to be in serious question right now. So. You mentioned Zaboral, so he, yeah. I mean, I think my point is, I think they should give him some time in the NHL here if he signs, because we all know the playoffs are a grind. And if another left shot defenseman goes down, that being Lindholm or Orloff or Grizzlick, in addition to Forbert, if Forbert's not ready to come back for the playoffs, you do want another option besides Zaboral. And that's where Mike Riley may may have came into play in the playoffs and whatnot. So I think to give Mason Lori an opportunity in the final stretch here, if he were to sign to get his feet wet, um, I think that'll be beneficial for all parties. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to to that development uh, in, in in the coming coming days as well. Yeah, and I, you know, I guess like it's not totally out of the question that he goes back to Ohio State for his junior year, but. I think if you're the Bruins, like you probably want to get him in, um, especially with, you know, even beyond this season, this spring, like next year, you're, you're probably losing some defensive depth season. You're not going to be able to re-sign everyone. You're not going to be able to keep everyone around. Uh, you're still going to be in a situation where you might, you know, be trying to move out a contract like O'Reilly. So he could absolutely factor into the plans next season or, you know, at least be in a situation where you give him a shot in, in training camp and preseason and see if he can make the team. So I feel like he's close enough that they're going to want to sign him. Um, and, you know, yeah, we'll we'll see if that happens in the next couple of days. Usually these things happen pretty quickly, especially if you want to potentially get a guy in NHL games. Like, you know, the, Harvard got knocked out on Friday, and I think three of their – three or four of their players have already signed – um, Sean Farrell with the Canadians, uh, Henry Thrun, LaFerriere, and Matt Coronado with Cal- yeah, like four of their plays have signed in the two days since. So, usually happens pretty quickly. And it's also worth noting, like for those listening, that Laura is not an 18 year old prospect. Like he's 22 years old. 
um, albeit he's freshly 22. But next year he would be he'd be he'd, he'd be 23 by the by the All Star break next year. So if he were on the Bruins, so it's not. It, there's a time and a place to develop and just, but you got to, at some point you got to get a guy into the pros, into the pro system. And, and you know, cause 23 um, isn't what it used to be in the NHL or 20, like, you know, 23, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys with, you know, three seasons under the belt, four seasons under the belt in the NHL at that, at that age. So, uh, and especially when they say defense would take longer to develop than forwards, I think um, unless there's a real pressing reason for him to go back to school outside of hockey reasons or whatever, like who knows, but I think it's time to get him back and, uh, or get him to the pro level and starting in Providence or Boston, wherever that may be. But the time is now for him to make that jump. And I think uh, everybody kind of acknowledges that Scott, any final thoughts on that discussion and, or anything we didn't get to cover in this episode so far. Uh, now we're going to do an hour on BU making the frozen four, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we won't be uploading that, that hour, but <laughs> Maybe on YouTube we can watch it. But, yes, yeah, yeah. good for BU. They're playing uh, Minnesota, yeah? Yeah, I know. Uh, that, that's going to be a tough one. That Minnesota team is loaded. Obviously, uh, Logan Cooley and Toronto prospect Matthew Nye leading the way. But, you know, BU, they've, it's been an impressive run for them. I didn't know – I didn't wasn't sure that they really had, like, this defensive structure in place. They've won some low-scoring games now, and – hockey's tournament and NCAAs. And I thought those might be the games that could potentially trip them up because they've really been such a high flying offensive team all year. So, you know, they've, they've won some playoff style games now. So we'll see. Uh, should be a great frozen four though. Four of the top five teams in the country in terms of pairwise rankings. So, um, you know, with Michigan Quinnipiac as the other matchup and Adam Fantilli, you know, probably a top two pick, um, this summer leading Michigan. So a lot, lot of talent in that Frozen Four. Yeah, pretty impressive for Michigan considering uh, the talent that they lost off last year's roster with um, – well, is Luke Hughes still there? Yeah, he's still Luke there. Luke Hughes is still there. Yeah, yeah. but, but, but Owen, Owen Power, Ken Johnson. Benier. Yeah, yeah, yeah Beniers, uh, yeah. Probably guy too. Um, Johnny playing. Beecher, of course. Can't, can't forget <laughs> they lost him. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, Beecher too. Um, there was, there was, who, who else was in that top line with Johnson and Veneers? I forget who it was, but he was a pretty good player too. But in any event, um, yeah, that'll be fun to watch. All right, Scott. So I think that'll wrap it up. I, I believe um, I believe Bridget will be back next episode, I believe. And uh, we'll be discussing what's next game? Is it uh, Nashville? Nashville, that's right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you all very soon.